Welcome to the Learning to Change podcast, where we uncover the transformative power of learning through the modern learner's lens. I'm your host, Melissa Emler, and I'm back with my friend and returning guest, Julie Stevenson. Julie Stevenson, as a reminder, is the Director of Culture and Learning at Southwest Health, and her organization is on a journey to create a more just culture. In this series, Julie takes us through the essence of just culture, a system where fairness, empathy, and shared accountability are paramount. We'll examine how this culture has transformed her hospital or is in the process of transforming her hospital, shifting from punitive responses to understanding and addressing root causes. We will also look at the challenges of implementing just culture, from overcoming resistance to change to fostering a blame-free yet accountable environment. Julie will shed light on the nuances of mistakes, at-risk behaviors, and the value of curiosity and systems thinking in this context. Get ready for another compelling session on just culture and how it can reshape workplaces, enhance employee engagement, and improve service quality. So let's dive in. All right, Julie, we're back. Hey there. Hello, hello. We're back for the second part of our series on just culture. And before we get started too much, I just want to remind everyone about what we talked about in the last show. So we sort of defined what just culture was and the aspirational goal of creating a culture that does no harm. And that is a fascinating aspiration. And I think it's important to remind everyone that it is an aspiration. And because, as you said, humans are fallible, things happen. And it's a very aspirational goal. It won't likely happen. But setting that goal can definitely have an impact on the overall experience. After we talked about that, we went into the vocabulary that helps us sort of get our culture grounded. So the vocabulary we talked about, and we'll just sort of give you the high-level overview in sort of one sentence. So Julie, this is how we'll do it. I'll say the vocabulary, and you sort of give the one or two questions that we ask to better understand that vocabulary. So the first vocabulary word we talked about in the last session was just prudence. What does that mean? That is understanding our rule book and why the rule books are important. So it answers the questions. Why do people think this is important? What makes it matter so much? What does it mean for something to be fair and right? And what does it mean uh, for a process to be fair and how and who defends it or judges it? Oh, I love it. The next uh, vocabulary word was human factors. This is about how people interact with the things that they come in contact with, the tools, machines, technology, whatever, sort of answers and asks the question, excuse me, asks the question, what factors, situations, environments enhance how well people can and will perform? The next one was behavioral economics. Yeah, this is about not just how they perform, but how people choose 
decisions? How, how, how do they make decisions? Um, again, not just about money. I'm going to clarify that because economics, I think, you know, sparks that in people's brains, but it's really asking the question, what drives or inspires individuals? How are people motivated? What, in, what incents individuals? Yes. And finally, the last vocabulary word that we sort of dug into was systems engineering. And this is really about the planning, design, and managing of complex systems. Um, we use the idea of a kitchen being a place where there's lots of systems within it, a refrigerator, a blender, right? All of those things make up a kitchen. How are we designing that? Um, and our workplaces so the processes, systems inside of those workplaces, how are they being designed? And the question is, how are those designs contributing to the person who's working within that, the employee's satisfaction and the, the people we are serving's experience and the ultimate well-being of all of the people involved with those systems? Fascinating. And so today, we are going to dig into everybody's favorite topic when we're talking about culture work in our organizations. Uh, we're going to talk about mission, vision, values. I like to throw in the word beliefs into mm -hmm. that. Um, and before we get started with this, I just want to say that the work connected to mission, vision, and values is a whole lot more than word smithing. Mm. And I have been in so many meetings, workshops, experiences to varying degrees and levels of my involvement. But it felt like for a very long time in the work that I was doing that mission, vision, and values was a whole lot of wordsmithing. And uh, we were often missing the point. So I'm just going to say, don't don't turn me off. Don't don't push pause or, or stop because <laughs> I promise we're going to talk about mission, vision, values, beliefs in a way that extends beyond wordsmithing. So I just had to put that disclaimer, Julie, because you know you've been in those meetings where we wordsmith something to death. And it's mm -hmm. just looking for synonyms and in, in, in the end. So take me yeah. away. How do mission, vision, values in that work connect or align to the work of just culture? Well, you know, I think the, the sad reality, Missy, I think of what you just talked about, which is just the oversaturation of the words mission and vision and values is the reality that the reason it's in everything is because it is important, but yeah. just like everything, right? Like we've sort of, ugh, we've diluted it to, and, and we've, we've oversimplified, right? Like, so this is part of one of the other, you know, sort of undercurrents of our culture, uh, like is how are we going to be highly reliable? That's the whole point of um, zero harm really in a just culture is a way to work toward high reliability. And one of the core tenets of high reliability is a reluctance to oversimplify. And so much of the work of mission, vision and values has been oversimplified by self-help and, you know, leadership and, you know, just whatever people can make money on. So, and rightfully so, good, good for them. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not saying that they sh can't do what they do. But I think that's why it becomes one of those things like, oh, yeah, let me tell you about my values, blah, 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 right. And it's really, like you said, performative work, um, and wordsmithing. So I appreciate you bringing that up. I think that we can do a better job of really understanding mission, vision and values. We don't talk much about 
vision uh, when it comes to what we're talking about with just culture, because our vision is zero harm. That, that's what we're working toward, right? Mm-hmm. Um, our vision at the uh, organization I work with is to create a healthier Southwest Wisconsin. So that's what we want to do. And we work toward those two visions. When it comes to mission and values, the way that the just culture conversation engages with that is really, it's there's two differences. There's something that you pursue. That's the mission. It's we pursue that. And our values are the things we protect along that mission. Oh, oh, that's very good. So mission is what we pursue. Mm -hmm. What we are in pursuit of, yep. And values are what we protect. Now, that is so fascinating. And I'm not sure that this will come up again, but there is a school um, in the San Diego area, I believe, called High Tech High. They made there's a documentary out there about it, titled "Most Likely to Succeed." It's fascinating, um, and it's again very aspirational in terms of how the education system is shifting. But they often talk about um, the three P's, and I'm only going to remember two of them. And one of them is protection for the people in their system Mm -hmm. against policy. So they really work to not enact policies um, that prevent people from doing work that is interesting and whatnot. So Mm -hmm. by having that sort of commitment to protect people from policy, it allows for more innovation and uh, risk-taking in in the school. So that is really interesting. Yeah, so I love that thinking about values as what we protect. Mm-hmm. Um, that's really interesting. The other thing that they do is they give permission. Mm. So one of the P's is permission. And again, I'm not going to remember that third one, except that it might be protect the people permission to do something and then something about policy. So Mm -hmm. it's like all wrapped up into one. But again, I love the concept of mission is what we pursue and value is what we protect. That is seemingly, um, to me, that seems really fresh and new in relationship Mm -hmm. to mission, vision, values work. So thank you for that. Yeah. I'm thinking about it. I, I, again, I'll just mention this. I mentioned it the last time I was here, but, um, you know, I didn't come up with this. It's the Just Culture Company that I've been trained by. And I agree. I think that they do a good job of helping the mission and values part of the work by necessity, because you have to understand this if you're going to actually do it, um, become sort of central and a way that you can talk about what is going on without um, getting sort of bogged down in that you know, my value is more important than your value. Well, like we all are working towards pursuing things and we all have things that we will protect and they're of equal value. And I like to refer to that as um, the, the, what the just culture organization is doing is they're helping people make sense of Mm -hmm. something that seems really complex and it is very complex, but what they're doing to sort of support you and others in the work is helping you make sense of the work. And that's what happened for me when you shared the mission is what we pursue and the value is what we protect. And then to extend it and say they're equally, depending on who's coming to it, 
everyone's values and what they will protect and what they will pursue are equally as necess- as necessary to the individual. Like there's mm-hmm. no hierarchy of that. That's very fascinating. Mm-hmm. Oh gosh, I'm not even sure if that is connected to what we're going to keep talking about, but you kind of just blew my mind. So now what are you going to do next to blow my mind? Uh-huh. <laughs> or how will we bring this back? What are well, we thinking? I mean, let's just go back quickly to the last episode. So if you haven't listened to that, you'll have to go back. But we talked about the kitchen, right? Yeah. As being, and so we can use that same metaphor really to think about the mission, right? So the mission of a kitchen is to, you know, nourish you, right? Like we need to eat to stay alive. So a kitchen, like the the mission of um, a place to prepare food is, is to, the goal is to eat and to, to be nourished, right? The values are what you protect within that. So if again, I'm the a grill master, I'm definitely going to protect the things that I need to do to make sure that I have a top notch grill and, uh, you know, a smoker probably. And some of these things that a grill master would need inside of the place that they pursue their mission, um, where someone else who has different values to protect, like someone who is um, a vegetarian, they are going to protect different values. They may want their kitchen located close to a farmer's market located close to right i'm I'm making these things up but all all of the the mission is really in some ways the same for for the kitchen but the values that we protect are going to make what that kitchen does what happens within it and how the people interact with it different because of what they're protecting so the same thing is in many ways happens at work you have a task or a mission or a goal which is it seems pretty simple but if you think about uh, the values as sort of corners, you have to run around to get to that goal. So, okay, so we the goal is patient safety. Let's just use that. Uh, or the goal is to give this person care, but you have to think about safety. You have to think about protecting our and being a good steward of our resources. You have to think about privacy. You have to think about compassionate care, right? So there's all of these things that you can't just do this one thing that seems easy enough because you're protecting all of these values. And those are values an organization gave you when they said, we want to pay you to come here and do this work. Here are the values you have to protect on our behalf. And then you come with your own set of values as well, right? And so it becomes like you are running around a maze worth of corners to get to the ultimate task. And people are doing this inside of complex systems, meaning they are doing task after task after task every day, still trying to run through this sort of maze worth of corners to make sure that everyone's values are protected, both their own and the organization's. And what Just Culture understands is that eventually those things are going to compete and people are going to have to make choices. And how are we making sure that we are we as an organization are allowing and encouraging them to make the choices that we want them to make so that the outcomes of what we are trying to do are we're actually able to to reach those outcomes whether it's great patient care or stewarding our resources whatever those things are again without making people feel like oh my gosh i have to put my values on a back seat and do something that feels sort of outside of my integrity to be able to do that so how do we make both of those things work the organizationals corners that they have to run around and also their own corners to get to uh, uh, the end of their mission. I said a lot there. Did that make sense? Yes. And it's fascinating. I think that I always zoom in on the concept of competing commitments or competing ideas because I feel 
in our immunity to change work that I do with so many organizations, people don't recognize the competing commitments until they're sort of like spending time with identifying why a change you're trying to make isn't being made. Mm -hmm. And so those competing commitments are the barrier to either you yourself or the organization getting to the goal or the mission or, you know, whatever it's, that's the barrier. That's the piece that's standing in their way is usually the competing commitments. And it goes back to what you said earlier is that sometimes we all bring in our own lived experience and our own values and uh, beliefs. And we see how those values and beliefs fit in the organization but the path or the direction in which the organization wants to get to the, the goal might not feel aligned because of what we're bringing. And what I think is fascinating is just culture could potentially be the mechanism or the vehicle for the individual to communicate to the system in order to feel honored and valued for what they're bringing. But without a just culture in place, that person's experiences and expertise sometimes and the the pieces that could be contributed to make the system and the organization better are ignored, not because it's anybody's intention to ignore, but mm -hmm. because the system doesn't allow for that free exchange of value between the organization and the individual and the individual and the organization and potentially setting up the systems that support just culture will free us up from what feels like running into the brick wall every time there's a competing commitment because the end goal for both is the same. Mm -hmm. There's not a nurse or a doctor who doesn't, who wants to do harm, right? They also want to do no harm, just like teachers want kids to learn. It's just the personal commitments and the lived experiences in regards to the path in which we get there is different. And those pieces might be the pieces of the competing commitments that with the right structures, we can get through. Well, and it's how an environment continues yeah. to learn, right? Because so many of those experiences and those values and those um, backgrounds are, are, it's information to help us say, okay, so how could we create this in a space where, you know, like anyone could come in and be successful here? So often, and I think a lot of organizations do this, they're like, we hire for culture, which means we hire for people that will come in and just do what we want them to do. No, that's hiring for compliance. Culture would be hiring for like, we want people to come in a just culture, I'll say. I mean, it depends on what kind of culture you want. But you ultimately what I think a lot of times when people say that is like, we want to find the right person that will fit right exactly within what we want them to do. And maybe that works for some people. In an organization that is complex and deals with a lot of human beings, we need people that are able to help us understand human beings. And we need people that can um, help us learn when a system is putting them between a rock and a hard place or putting a patient between a rock and a hard place. How are we enabling the people within the organization to say like, can we move this rock somehow? Because I keep slamming into it, or I'm going to make the patient slam into it, or I'm going to make my peer slam into it. And I'm, that's in my 
just overgeneralized opinion, this is where burnout happens, right? Because you have to constantly make choices between your own self-protection and other people's, you know, like, it's just like, ugh, that overlapping duties, overlapping values, overlapping responsibilities becomes just a huge drag on, I just want to come and help people. But yet I come into the place where we say we're going to help people and I run into these walls over and over and over again. And working toward a just culture is us just acknowledging when you come into these walls, we are going to try and do our best to not have you have to make that decision. We will share some of that accountability with you. We will understand there are rocks that we have put in place. How are we doing our best to move them or to find another path if we can't move them so that the, you know, capable and compassionate humans that are serving our patients and the compassionate and great patients that come in that are desiring our care don't have to bear the brunt of just our lack of creativity and learning. I think the thing that's interesting also is that typically when we're talking about competing commitments, initially it starts as just that, a competing commitment. And you you can sometimes bury some of that conviction that you have towards what you're willing or what you want to protect. You, you can sometimes sort of like, oh, I can let this go for a little bit because it's not necessarily contradictory to what I'm trying to protect mm-hmm, or what mm-hmm. I am pursuing. But what happens over time is as it continues to sort of feel ignored, whether it is or isn't, you know, because we make decisions, that's the behavioral economic piece. We make decisions based on how we feel. But the competing commitments often lead to conflict, conflict with our peers, conflict with our superiors, conflict with ourself. Mm -hmm. And then that often spills over into our homes because we bring the conflict home and we're so needing to protect our values and our work, essentially, that we end up in conflict. And when the conflict continuously is unresolved and can't, is often not heard um, in a productive way, that's when people leave organizations. And when they leave, they take all of that institutional knowledge and experience with them Mm -hmm. that has to be rebuilt. Mm -hmm. And that is one of the uh, goals of just culture or one of the outcomes of just culture, I think that is great is that it keeps your people growing and learning. And as your people are growing and learning, the organization is growing and learning. And so your retention and your sustainability is much greater. And, and that's really important. And when I think about the field of education and the number of people leaving the field right now, I can't help but think this just culture concept is really important and really Mm -hmm. applicable. Yeah. So I think two things that I'd like to mention, I I agree. I think that that's right. I think in order to have employees want to stay, they want to, they need to feel safe psychologically and physically. And this is a way that they do that. They, they can come to work feeling like my employer is doing as much as I am doing to make sure that I'm um, taken care of. And I can hold my head up to the best of my ability that it's my behavioral choices that I have to worry about. I don't have to be worried about taking the brunt of a system, right? Or something that I had no control over or very little control over. So I think that that's true. I think it is a tool of creating a better workplace and in better workplaces, people stay longer. I also think it is a tool that will help us establish processes for when people don't leave, but they also 
are working in a system where they have felt the pressure or the harm uh, or the weight of a system that feels injustice, unjust to them. And they're just there because they don't have the energy to leave. And so their choices and the factors that they are bringing, the environment that they are creating is in many ways, it's, it's just like fraught with opportunities for harm. Because when, and I think this is real in schools as well, right? Mm-hmm. Um, when people feel like my voice doesn't matter anyway, you will exert, I think this again, you know, there's people mm-hmm. that know way more about this than I do. But I think when people feel powerless, they will use the power that they have. And when there's power dynamics, like a teacher and a student or patients and a clinician, right? Like it's easy then to ignore the thing that's happening or do whatever, which is their way of being like, that's the only power I have is I just don't have to, I I can't do one more thing for this person or I can't do. And then we ultimately harm possibly the people that we're serving. And Mm -hmm. sort of the beauty in some ways is when people decide to leave. What is kind of scary is when the people that aren't leaving, but that feel like I am in an unjust system and I have no power. And so the only thing I can do is just come and protect myself. And one, I don't want people to work within those systems because yuck, right? Like I don't want to have a workplace that makes people feel like they're powerless. And so that the only power they have is that they can ignore people with less power than they are, than they have. I don't want that to happen for anyone. I don't want a person to work inside of those systems, but it also, I feel like you can't not be working toward that and assume you're doing no harm because harm is happening and it's invisible often. Um, And you you just have to understand that it's a, it's a thing that will help people stay, but it also will move people out if they have decided that they can't work within that system. And that's absolutely true. In my own personal experience, um, there was an instance where I had a lot of expertise to share in relationship to a specific initiative that was happening. And there wasn't a system for me to feel heard. Mm-hmm. And um, I did my best to sort of interject and um, put mini uh, subsystems in place that would get us closer to where we were going. But it was when I realized that I wouldn't be able to have the impact that I had intended to have and also could see myself having had I been um, sort of listened to that I would have stayed But when I realized that I couldn't do the work or have the impact that I wanted and knew I could do, I retreated Mm -hmm. and found myself a different avenue to do the work that I knew I could do. And so I think you're, you're absolutely right that it helps people stay and have the impact and it also helps people leave. Now, in that particular personal instance, it was interesting to see how the system listened after I left. Mm-hmm. Um, and I continued to support the system that I left because I, I actually truly was <laughs> like, we had aligned goals, right? Our path to getting to that goal was different. And, and I was happy to see that they made an adjustment, but the system is not yet just because the adjustment they're making or that they made has had a significant impact on the person doing the heavy lifting that I had suggested was necessary. Mm. And so the system is unintentionally harming the person who's sort of absorbing those pieces now that they know they're important. 
And so I continue to think that about that. And just what you said, it helps people stay and, and things adjust so that it makes that psychological and physical safety possible. But it also really helps people leave. If they're if they recognize their power to leave and that they could exercise their vision, their values in another environment. But sometimes the powerlessness, the feeling of powerlessness feels so heavy that they can't actually imagine exercising their own power in a different environment. And that's where the impact of this is has such longevity. Well, and I think you had mentioned it maybe before about um, how, you know, values and stuff gets over, you know, blown. But I think if individuals don't know what their values are, and you're absolutely right, they're feeling powerless, and they don't know, like, I don't know, I don't, I mean, I think even the idea of competing values, competing duties, overlapping, you know, responsibilities, things like that, those aren't concepts that people know. So they just feel stressed, or they just feel powerless, right? And they just feel like they don't, I don't know what I hate about it here, but I hate about it here. I don't know what I, you know. And so I think helping people, and and we do some of this in our workplace, right? Helping people identify what does well-being look like for you? What do you value, right? What, because if they don't know, they're not going to know when they like are facing something that they're like, oh, I've got to raise my hand here. This doesn't feel okay, right? Um, Instead, to your point, they just feel powerless and the weight is heavy. And then it's, you know, sort of a self-fulfilling prophecy that, um, that we can't prevent harm. And we can, but we uh, we have to help people, just like we have to establish our shared vision of the organization, we have to help people feel really solid with who they are and what they bring and what they have the power um, to protect, both for themselves and for the organization. Yes. And, and at Modern Learners, we have a value that very much emphasizes learning and um that seems uh, very, again, one of those oversimplified concepts. And I know that it's an oversimplified concept because when I ask people to define learning, it's we, I, there's no real definition that even the people I work with in the field of education can sort of spin off the he- top of their head. So mm-hmm. for the record, at Modern Learners, we define learning as wanting to learn more. That's how we know people are learning is because they want to learn more. And I think when we're talking about employees in a, a culture, there's often support for people's learning, but it is connected to sort of the organization's goals, which is absolutely okay. But I think that it's really important to be accountable to the individual's goals as well. And if they can align, that is fantastic. But there comes a point where they may not align or they the individual may have gotten from the organization what they needed, or the organization may have gotten from the individual what they needed. And it is okay to proactively discuss parting ways and when that will be appropriate and and when you can continue to support each other. <laughs> That's how you think about succession planning, mm-hmm. right? Like, I, I think that it's interesting to think about how just culture, the conversation about just culture is leading into recruitment, retention, succession, all of those things. And those conversations are really important to the organization. And they are really important to the individual. Because if the individual is understands sort of where they're going and 
the amount to which they can contribute to the organization, they also can see themselves going somewhere else to have that same contribution. And then the impact of the organization with the just culture is so much greater Mm -hmm. because it might have such a even more significant impact on another adjacent organization that somebody finds their way to um, at the right time. But again, just getting that alignment to the mission, vision, values, what we're willing to protect and um, you know what we're in pursuit of, that aligns perfectly to the career path conversation. Um, and so I think it's important to have it with the individuals as well as the organization and build that into the work into someone's work within the system. I think I what I hear you saying is one like that's that's what's happened with me, right? They have invested in a person who is like focused on culture, focused on learning. How are we how are we doing that, right? Within our yeah. organization, we are a small organization compared to, you know, like other organizations, but yet culture is very important. I think one of the things that you just touched on and I I thought about this in a different context in the last few days and I've had conversations about it, but to your point about succession planning and retention. So, I mean, you can retain a po- an employee until their retirement date for 25 years, let's say, and they can hate their job and you've retained them and they could have been toxic to your culture and you retained them. So if retainment and retention is the goal, cool. <laughs> or you could say like, okay, so like what's the best case scenario in terms of retention? Well, the best case scenario is that they stay for 25 years and they love it and they talk about the culture and they grow and they learn and they've had as many opportunities as they've wanted or that we've been able to offer. And if we weren't able to offer what they wanted, we helped them find what they needed, right? Whether it was retirement, whether it was somewhere yes. else. Because I think the worst case scenario, I, we, I was thinking that the context of in a different scenario was just like, what's the best case ending? What's the worst case ending, right? So I think the best case ending is that when it comes to retention is we want them to stay, but we want them to feel good. We want them to do great work. We want them to take this what they learn here back and do good things in their community and in their homes and things like that, right? The goal isn't just keeping people. The goal is keeping people, developing people, having opportunities, having promotable people, growth potential in people. I think the worst case scenario is I've had someone that stayed that in many ways put us at risk of harm, put themselves at risk of just feeling like unhealthy, unwell. Uh, that I... I don't know. I, 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 to me, that that doesn't feel like a great goal, even if they stayed. Mm-hmm. I, I 100% agree with you. And then to consider all of the systems that are wrapping around this conversation that mm-hmm. impact that and how can all of those systems work together? Because we're talking about health care insurance coverage. We're talking about retirement system investment. Uh, what are those things? Um pension plan matching, 401ks. We're talking about what's really best for the human. And we're sort of talking about it in, you know, growth and development language, but there are some very logistical, practical, uh, financial implications Mm -hmm. from that growth and development. But I think that being really clear on how our assumptions impact that is important because So many people have the assumption that if they've given so much time, energy, or commitment to an organization that they're vested in retirement or they 
live, their insurance is, you know, really important. Their assumption is that by moving to another organization, they won't have that. And so often, that's a false assumption to keep us complacent and compliant Mm -hmm. with something that is there. So when I'm coaching people through a career change, um, which is typically my family that (laughs) reaches out to me for these big kinds of concepts, I have to say, in hearing you talk about your insurance or your retirement, I'm hearing an assumption that you don't think there is that opportunity on the other side of this one. Mm-hmm. And I can speak from my experience that I've made changes and I've always had healthcare and I've always had retirement. And it may look different and it may amount to different pieces, but the growth and development that I've experienced and my contributions and the impact that I've been able to have have always led me to a positive next step when I avoid thinking and having the assumption that there's not a equivalent retirement thing for Mm. me. So again, I just think it's really important. We are talking about the emotional growth and development, but there are some practical things on the outside of that that are important to consider also. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's It's a good way to complicate systems in what that behavioral economics thing, what motivates people to come make choices. So what will motivate people to leave a job? What motivates people to come to a job? What scares people enough that they stay? What scares people enough that they leave, right? Like, so, you know, there's both benefit, there's, there's work systems, um, how, how streamlined the processes are, how um, up to date the technology is, but there's also these uh, systems of social systems and infrastructure that make it really important for people and organizations to be thinking about these things, because all of these play into a staff member's ability to, to uh, do good work. Awesome. And I think that that is a great place to end because it leads us right into what our next episode is going to be about, which is specifically about behaviors. I don't want to use the wrong vocabulary, but behaviors and what works or doesn't work in regards to behaviors in a just culture. So I think this is a great place to close the chapter for today, but knowing that we're going to come back in the next episode and really dig into behaviors. So thanks so much for being here. And as I always say, have a great day. Don't get in trouble. Bye. Thanks, Missy. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining me today on the Learning to Change podcast. I hope you found our discussion insightful and inspiring. As we continue to explore the power of learning and its impact on change, remember that it's not about pushing yourself or others to change, but about embracing the process of learning. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform so you never miss an episode. If you're ready to take your learning journey to the next level or bring about a culture of learning in your organization, join us in our free Modern Learners community. We are here to help you navigate the challenges and celebrate the successes that come with embracing learning and change. Simply go to modernlearners.community and join us today. You'll find all the resources from today's show in there. Until next time, Stay curious and remember, I'm not asking you to change, I'm asking you to learn.
Learning to Change is produced by Yellow House Media. Our production coordinator is Lou Blaser. Marty Seafelt edits our episodes. Our production assistant is Emily Kilduff. And Sean McMullen is our executive producer. Learning to Change is recorded on the stolen land of the Sauk and Fox tribes, the Miami Nation, the Osati, Shakawi, Sioux, Ho-Chunk, and Kickapoo peoples. 